0: What's up everybody? You're listening to the Disciple Makers podcast by discipleship.org. I'm your host, Dave Stovall, and today we've got the collective director Matt Dabbs interviewing author and speaker Alice Matagora. Alice is going to be speaking at our National Disciple Making Forum coming up here in a couple of weeks. So if you enjoy what you hear today, go over to discipleship.org and buy those tickets to come hear her speak at the forum. For the episode today, Alice is going to be sharing her view of discipleship and about her new book, How to Save the World Disciple Making Made Simple. She breaks down some key statistics on how discipleship is broadly viewed by pastors and everyday Christians. I really hope you enjoy this episode. This is Matthew Dabbs and Alice Matagora. Enjoy.
1: Well, hello, everybody. This is uh, Matt Dabbs with discipleship.org. And uh, just welcoming to the show Alice Matagora. Uh, she has written a book called How to Save the World, Disciple Making Made Simple. And I uh, really appreciate her work with that. I know Bobby was talking to me about the book and just talked about how great it was. And so I picked up a copy and and I'm mostly through it. Uh and and I've been really very thankful for because I'm kind of a um I love practicality, but I also like a little bit of numbers. And this book really mixes in a really great mix of you know, what's really going on out there and what we really can do about it in a practical way. And I also appreciate in her book her humility uh, about what she's doing and how it's working and all that. I just thought it was just a really, really good read. And so I'm sure we'll talk a little bit more about that here as we, yeah. uh, as we begin. But uh, can you just say a few words about yourself, Alice?
2: Yeah, sure. Thanks for having me here, Matt. Um, Well, um, my husband and I, we just passed 14 years of marriage. Uh, We have two little ones, a three-year-old and an eight-month-old, and we live in Southern California. So we both work with a Christian organization called The Navigators. I'm sure many of you have heard of it before. It's a disciple-making ministry. I am in the work of leader development, developing leaders all over the world, really, in The Navigators to better lead their people towards a disciple-making movement. And then my husband, he is here on campus at the local campus, UC Irvine, University of California in Irvine, where he is the campus director of the collegiate ministry there. Okay, that's awesome. Yeah.
1: So one of the things that discipleship.org talked about um, a couple of years ago, 2019, just like right before the pandemic happened, was this national study that uh, I Mm -hmm. sent to you uh, maybe a week or so ago. And it, it really highlighted this idea that Sometimes, maybe at churches, we think we're doing a little bit better than maybe what's actually happening in terms of discipleship. And maybe there's mm-hmm. kind of a bigger problem than is perceived with the actuality of what's really going on with making disciples and sustainable, mm-hmm. reproducible discipleship and things like yeah. that. It was a big national study, right? Like a thousand plus people were, were phoned, gone through an extensive interview, and this data was collected by. Absolute statistical genius people, right? Like really, really really well done. Like they spent a lot of good time and effort making this work. So they really identified some problems. Your book identifies some problems. So Mm -hmm. uh, we don't want to be just problem focused, but if you don't know what the problems are, then how do you address them? Right? So talk to us a little bit about the problems that you've seen.
2: Yeah, well, the book, it uh, features original research from the Barna Group. So Navigators and Barna, they partner together to conduct research on the state of disciple making in the American church. And the bottom line is what we're seeing is in the American church, only 30 percent of American Christians are discipling or have discipled. Only 30%. And even fewer, 20%, about 20% have been discipled in the past. Now this, is a problem because, you know, we see at the end of Jesus's life here on earth. I don't need to convince anybody who's listening to this podcast, I'm sure, but go and make disciples of all nations. This is Jesus's final commission to all of his followers, not just the super spiritual ones or not just the leaders, but to anybody who calls himself a student or a follower of Jesus. This is a calling for all Christians. And so 30%, that's kind of a ways away from all followers, you know, we're we're mm. not going to see this advance, this really, I mean, it's reaching the ends of the earth, you know, if, if all of God's people don't come together to do this work, you know, I mean, and God, he delights to invite us to partner with him in this work. So that's kind of a, a bottom line snapshot of the problems that we're seeing with, as it comes to discipleship in the American church.
1: Yeah. Well, you know, Barna also had a number on the Great Commission, like, do Christians even know what the great commission is? And it was yeah. like f- 51% or 52% didn't recognize mm-hmm. or were not able to articulate. I think it was like 17% were able to actually really articulate the great commission and like explain yeah. it really, Jesus was really saying this, you know, and mm-hmm. that's pretty disturbing. I mm-hmm. know, like, I've asked a lot of different groups of people over time, like, have you ever been disciples show of hands, right. With live people. Yeah. And, you know, maybe like 10, 20% might raise their hand. I'm like, Tell me who discipled you? My mom, my dad, a Bible class teacher, a preacher. Yeah. Well, how did the preacher disciple you? Well, I was in church every week. How did the uh-huh. Bible? I was in Bible class every week. Yeah. It just kind of happened in the home, right? It's yeah. like, oh, this is not very intentional. You know, this is. Uh-huh. You know, it sounds like that's not just the people I knew.
2: Yeah. No. It, it seems like just overall, there really is a lack of familiarity with the term discipleship, disciple making disciple, you know, especially as we get into generational disciple making, I think people kind of get the idea of mentoring somebody to become more like Jesus. But what they're kind of leaving out is the generational aspect that they are supposed to keep the lineage going and to keep discipling on. Um, I think there were some numbers from the Barna research. I think it was like, do you believe that if somebody just comes to know Jesus and that's it and they never share? their faith or how to walk with jesus with anybody else that your discipling relationship has been successful and i think like 80 percent said yes that is enough for disciple making and so Mm. that that's kind of uh I, i think we're missing out on something in our intentional disciple making uh something about the generations is kind of lacking or familiarity with this idea of generations as god's plan for reaching the ends of the earth
1: yeah you know and my first grad program was uh was not in ministry. And it was a pretty intensive doctoral program that I decided not to finish. (laughs) The, uh, I stepped out and, um, I got, got out of there, but they were really trying to disciple you. It was, it was a state university, but it really was a discipleship program.
0: Like they didn't didn't
1: see it that way, but they were, you, they were trying to make you your mentor professors. Right. Mm -hmm. And I, I feel like we're looking to our pastors and ministers to disciple people Mm-hmm. they've probably gone to seminaries that might have been highly academic, right? Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah. And so
1: you get like the, the research I, academic theological side, but, but there, there's a lot of nuts and bolts to this, but but basically what it boils down to is we've, we've so specified things on our training end that you have to have a PhD to even train mm-hmm. seminary students, right? And that's probably New yeah. Testament, Old Testament, things like that. That like your professors are probably not discipling people. Yeah. And I'm not trying to make a universal negative. Again, we try to avoid universal negative statements. Right. That's not Mm -hmm. an absolute. But just the way the system is set up is when you go through your formal ministry, education and seminary, you don't have a lot of people. Let me say it that way. Don't have good examples. They're not being discipled through that. Right. Right. So so then when they get to the church and are trying to pastor and minister, like they're not bringing that DNA with them. Like and all of a Mm -hmm. sudden they're like, how do I do this? It's never been done. I don't know what I'm doing. Right. And that's that's. That's hard.
2: Yeah. And and I think that's why the numbers are really, really important to look at. You know, 20%, only 20% have been discipled, you know? So it's so it's so hard to reproduce something that you have never experienced before. Yes. And I think that's kind of a product of our culture, you know, our American culture. I mean, one of the one of the great things is that we are very productive, but you know, just being set the American yes. church in our productivity, efficiency minded culture. My fear is that we as the church we have moved away from the slow, laborious work of one-on-one, one-on-a-few investment, deep investment. And we have preferred these larger discipleship programs, like let's mass produce disciples, let's mass produce and just disseminate information on how to walk with mm-hmm. Jesus. But mm-hmm. you kind of miss that intentional slow walking alongside walking with that jesus modeled for us mm. i mean he lived life with his disciples side by side they saw how he would react to different things that he would encounter different people all different kinds of people he he spoke into them when they had missteps when they misunderstood his kingdom there, there's just something that can't be re uh, reproduced uh or uh, replicated or replaced. It, it, just from the, the walking alongside somebody by a program, you know, we, we can't do that. And, and so I think um, because we have moved away from um, individual discipleship and towards programs instead as a focus or events, I, I think less and less people have experienced being discipled. And so they just don't know a lot of the Christians, they don't know how to disciple. And so this is where um, I hope that the book becomes helpful, that it becomes like an easy step-by-step, like primer for the everyday person who thinks, I don't know that I have the qualifications. Like you said, I don't know, you know, I'm not a seminary professor. I don't have a degree or anything. You know, I'm not mm-hmm. in full-time ministry. I'm not a pastor. I don't have the qualifications. I can't do it. But like, yes, yes, you can. If you have been walking with Jesus, all it takes is just passing on what you know to the next person so that's my hope for the book
1: don't you think that was like kind of some of the genius of jesus approach was like let me take the most ordinary people i can find (laughs) and if if i can do it with them yes right and they they don't even all get along yeah you know it's like it's not like you know he has like this perfect setup with this perfect combination of scholarly amazing practical people that like just the best look the best right oh (laughs) we're not that you know so it, it's like, uh, yeah, it, it's it's really, I think Jesus probably did it on purpose. You know, it's such a good lesson oh, yeah. for us.
0: Yeah.
2: Yeah. And, you know, Jesus inter- interacting with the Samaritan woman on purpose, you know, that yes. a woman, a Samaritan, you know, somebody with the past, somebody who like didn't have the Jewish theological background, you know, that that God could use her to go and bring the message of God's salvation to an entire village.
1: Yeah, I said, they say first first missionary in the Gospel of John.
2: Yeah, yeah, it's right? crazy. I mean, I guess you could so, say John the
1: Baptist, but as far as you know, as far well, yeah. I mean, John kind of was trying to get the ministry of Jesus multiplied too, but this is you know kind of after he started. Mm-hmm. So that this incredible story. Yeah, um, you know the, the Great Commission even bakes in replication, right? Because he says, "Go make disciples and teach them to obey everything I commanded you." And which, by the way, I just commanded you to go and make disciples. Yeah. <laughs> so we teach them to obey what I said. Yep,
2: uh-huh. I
1: said to do that, you know, so they should do that too. Mm-hmm. And that's, that's Acts 2 also, right? This is not, this, this be, you know, uh, what are we to do? Repent, be baptized, you know, and you'll receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. This promise is for you and for your children, for all who are far mm-hmm. off, right? Like this mm-hmm. is a generational replicatable multiplicational thing, right? And it, it just yeah. should be baked into the DNA. But I think for pastors, we look at it, we're like, oh, I've got a thousand people and I'm the only one maybe's got a plan to do yeah. this. And I start mm-hmm. one on one or one on three. And how's it gonna get there? It's just overwhelming.
2: Yeah, yeah, definitely. And and I think, you know, when I first learned about disciple making as God's plan of reaching the ends of the earth. I'm like, well, that seems really inefficient. Like, what, what can what can God do? But, you know, I think that um, at the end of Abraham's life, you see like God's master plan of giving him descendants as many as the stars was like one son, <laughs> Isaac, you know, there wasn't a lot going. But but just through the years and through the faithfulness of everyday people, you see God, God continues to multiply this work, you know. Yes.
1: Oh, it's so true. We had a situation where like we, we started a house church and we're trying to reach our neighborhood. And then we had some neighborhood issues go to where it wasn't right to meet at our house for mm-hmm. a season. There's some real friction in the neighborhood. And so we mm-hmm. had to move it out. We were so discouraged. We were like, what is yeah. going on? This is, this is not why we did this. We, you know, it, it was so frustrating. And then so God opened up this amazing door at this other home on the other side of town with a couple who was in their 80s. They, they weren't going to church because of COVID. Hadn't been to church mm-hmm. in two years. They live on a lake. Private thing, but in, they live in a private home. Like, but in a, in a massively growing neighborhood, it's built all around their little woodsy spot on the lake. Yeah, and so we start prayer walking this neighborhood, right? And
2: oh, and so and,
1: I, and I, it was so hot one day. I'm out there prayer walking, and no one's out, and I'm just like, God, <laughs> I, I just hope you did something with today. I didn't even talk yeah. to anybody. <laughs> uh-huh. Well, I walk by this lady's house, and I, I was prayed for whoever's in this house and this house. She comes. She little this on Saturday. She walks into church across the lake that next Uh day and i'm like where where do you live she's like that house over there i'm like i literally walked by your house and prayed for you yesterday god might send somebody and then this other couple started coming and these other people and then and then this this lady is coming as a pharmacist we're going to go to uganda and we need medication and she gets it 90 percent off she came like two weeks before our trip and purchased all of our medication wow like i there's there's like a thousand stories like that where you're like Uh this is not the plan we had. Right. Yeah. But God's moving the parts and he can multiply like people of uh, peace who um, can like multiply this. I'll yes. just watch him work. Oh, it's so good.
2: Yeah, absolutely. It looks like nothing is happening. You know, kind of like after Jesus was crucified, it looked like yeah. nothing was happening. But so much is happening just yes. below the surface.
1: And what did he say? He said he said, go to Jerusalem and wait.
2: Mm hmm. Right. Mm-hmm. Is
1: that yeah. in Acts one? It's like, go wait. Like you're, you're alive. We should go proclaim. We should mm-hmm. like wait for, wait for the spirit. Wait till you see God move. Yeah. yeah. That's so good. That's yeah. so good. So we've got some problems going on. Um, mm-hmm. Let's talk a little bit about what we can do some practicality. And, and in the book, you talk about five traits of a disciple yeah. maker. Can you kind of help us understand what we're looking for here?
2: Yeah. So in the navigators, we have this framework because, you know, disciple making it's so fuzzy. We're like, what is it? mean? Mm-hmm. What does it look like? How do you know if you're on the path to being a disciple maker? So we have these five traits of a disciple maker. And so the five are, you know, they have a passion to know, love, and become more like Jesus. And so the American church, you know, the cool thing about the Barna Research is that um they, they ask specific questions about each of these five different traits. So the first was Jesus. The second was scripture. They like love Jesus's but they love the word. They love the word of God. They're in it. They're engaging with it regularly. They're in life-giving Christian communities. So They're around like-minded people who are spurring them on towards love and good deeds. Mm-hmm. Uh, they're around the lost. So, so they're actually, they're actively living uh, just around people who don't, no Jesus or the unconverted. And then finally, the last one is that they have uh, generations in mind so that it mm. keeps going. What they have is meant to be passed on to somebody else. Now, overall, I would say that the church, we're, we got the first three down, right? Like Jesus. Yeah, of course. Our Christian faith is all... Dependent on, you know, it, it all hinges on Jesus. You know, the scriptures. We're good at that. You know, Christian community. We love Christian community. We love hanging out with other Christians. But the last two, I think that's where uh, we, we kind of need to push a little more and continue to preach and and to beat the the drum of being among the lost, living among the lost, having non-Christian friends uh, who who we know and who they know us. And they see how we're walking with Jesus in the difficult things in our lives, uh, how we are relying on him in faith, how Jesus doesn't remove the hard things from our lives, but that he actually carries us through. And, the, and then generations, this idea of generations. So one of the things that was really interesting in the study uh, the Barna research. So when asked whether people believed that discipling somebody else was a responsibility for Christians, like 70% said, no, it's not a responsibility for Christians to disciple mm. another Christian. Ooh, like that, that's so mm. concerning mm. at first, but then they asked the other, another question, a follow-up question, which was, do you believe that it is your responsibility to spiritually invest in those around you? And 70% said, yeah, mm-hmm. I do believe that. Mm-hmm. So it's really like, it's not like we're against disciple making. It's that I think we just don't know what all it entails. 70% think, yeah, I should pass on. It is my responsibility as a follower of Jesus to pass on what I know about walking with him. Uh, they just don't know that the the word for that, a word for that is mm-hmm. discipling, mm-hmm. disciple making. And, and so there, there's something that I feel like maybe in the church, what we're missing these days in talking about discipling, disciple making and making it a regular part of the Christian life, you know, like, did you read your Bible? Did you pray? Uh, How is your time with this, you know, just making it part of the Christian life, like an expected part of Christian life?
1: It seems like there's a real cultural aversion to pressing beliefs on someone else. Right. Mm -hmm. So I forget how you worded that first item. Can you say that? Do you remember how you said that the two items?
2: (laughs) Not making it up weird. (laughs) Is that
1: (laughs) what you just said about Barna had these two parts. One, one was 30%. One was 70% or something like that. The first one was only 30% thought that they should like actively try to disciple people.
2: Uh well the bottom, line, only 30% are discipling people. Are, uh, are you talking about are you talking about the 70%? 70% don't believe that discipling somebody is a, a responsibility as yes. Yes, a Christian. That's the one. And then yeah. yep, 70%. So, yeah.
1: Th- that makes sense to me because and, and I'm not saying yeah. it's good. I'm just saying, culturally speaking, mm-hmm. the aversion to pressing my beliefs on other people.
2: Yes. But yeah. if
1: you say should I spiritually influence or should I be in a spiritual conversation with someone? that sounds more open, yes, and yeah. right? Of like, mm-hmm. well, they may be this or that, and I'm a Christian, but we're having a spiritual conversation. That sounds yeah. like less threatening, maybe.
2: Yeah. Yeah. And, and I think um, not only that, that the aversion to pushing our beliefs on somebody else, but something that, um, that I feel like I gleaned from the research was an aversion to vulnerability, you know, to, oh, yeah. to making, to wanting to not make the relationships that they have with those who don't know Jesus, and even those who do know Jesus are around them weird, you know, you, they don't yeah. want to make it weird, you know, because like, when you I would just think about a dating relationship, when you first start dating somebody, it's kind of weird in the beginning, or when you make a new friend, you know, um, two years ago, we, we joined a new community group, and it was weird at first. But now, after two years of meeting every single week, we, we know them we love them it's so comfortable it's hard to believe that it ever felt weird but I think that that fear of vulnerability and things being weird at first kind of keeps people from wanting to pursue and move towards these disciple making relationships because let's just keep the status quo uh and and just not risk making it weird but in not risking making it weird, They're also missing the opportunity to lead somebody else into a deeper experience of the fullness of Jesus in their lives and the transformational power of the gospel in their lives.
0: Hey, I hope you've been enjoying this episode so far. I wanted to take just a second to tell you about the Discipleship.org Collective. It's an online community designed for disciples and disciple makers. And if you're a follower of Jesus, then you fit in one or both of those categories. And we made this website with your needs in mind. The website itself is super cool because it's like stepping into a virtual church building. There's a welcome center, an auditorium for main events, and even some classrooms. Right now, you can get free access to this collective where we provide weekly webinars, we've got ebooks, and even disciple-making assessments for you and also your whole church. And don't mistake this for just a website. It's actually a community for disciple makers, basic membership is free, but there's also a premium access option that includes courses, certifications and online gatherings with other leaders from around the world. So go to discipleship.org slash collective and sign up for your free membership today.
1: So these five traits, um, how might they help us get more intentional about disciple making? Mm
2: hmm. Yeah. Um, Well, I mean, something that I tell my students uh, just at at the university, the local university, when I disciple them is like, if by the time you leave college and 10 years down the line, um, your Christian life just looks like all it is, is just like sitting in a church every single week. then I think we really failed you. You know, I think we really, I mean, church Mm -hmm. is good. I love church. You Mm -hmm, know, like don't hear me disparage church. But if that's all your Christian life is, is just sitting in the the larger congregation that I would have really failed to give you vision for what God could do in and through Mm -hmm. your lives. It's not Mm -hmm. just this season in college, but that it's for all the days of your life, wherever you go, whoever God has sovereignly placed in your life, you know, that you would be thinking that you'd be thinking like, and if you're in a season where you're not among the lost or people who don't know Jesus as well, like, how do I get around people? You know, how do I live around the lost? I'm thinking about the last two traits of a, the disciple maker, you know? And, and so also when I first disciple somebody, I'm also like, no matter how new they are to the faith, you know, I, okay, now share something that I shared with you this week with somebody else. And so I'm discipling this girl, she's starting to walk with Jesus. She's in a sorority. And so I shared with her, how to share the gospel and you know, just simple gospel illustration. I'm like, okay, now share with somebody in your sorority, share with a couple of people in your sorority. And so she did, She she's pretty young in the faith, um, and and she did, and it. it was really, really awesome. I, I, you know, uh, maybe I this is more a reflection of me because if somebody asked me that as a culture, I don't know that I would be, like follow through. And so I was like, ah, maybe she won't follow through. Mm. But the next week she came back and she totally did, it was so awesome. So, That's so cool. Thinking from the very beginning, setting a vision from the very beginning that what I am entrusting to you, I want you to do with somebody else. And I want you to do it with somebody else 10 years down the line and 20 years down the line and for the rest of your life, wherever God has you, because this is our calling as followers of Jesus.
1: We talked with Doug Burrier a few weeks ago, and one of his parts of discipleship was that you are still serious about your relationship with Jesus long after my influence has faded Mm -hmm, as a disciple mm -hmm. maker. Right. I really like that. I was thinking when you're talking about church and we don't want to be, we're not negative about, about assembly Mm -hmm. church. Right. But when you go to the new Testament, there are actually very few verses that talk about the assembly. Mm -hmm. First Corinthians 11. I mean, it's like, There's verses that talk about singing or or, or praying or pray together, like you pray for one another and things like that. But a lot of it, these are house churches, life on life, right? Like that's how we're going about it. Mm -hmm. Acts 2 daily. So, you know, I I do think we have to have a broader conception of what church is than just Mm -hmm. the assembly. The assembly and like this life on life, like what you're talking about, this intentional sharing, equipping. You know here's mm-hmm. a real skill. How do you even share the gospel? How do you share yeah. your testimony? Mm-hmm. Somebody's got to teach you that. that's not yeah. going to come supernatural for a lot of people. It might for a few. Mm-hmm. Yeah.
2: yeah, that's yeah, cool. absolutely.
1: Uh, you shared in the book like pretty much every chapter you have a vignette of like a real mm-hmm. person, right? and talking yeah. about kind of just making it real. Like this person had a hard time with this and this, but here's what they did. and can mm-hmm. can you share some thoughts on maybe why you did that and and what we can learn from some of those examples?
2: Yeah. So I've written this book, you know, for the everyday person to exhort and encourage them and equip them to make disciples. And like, yeah, God has called all followers of Jesus, everyday people, not just the full time ministers and the pastors to make disciples. So that that was something that the research identified, illuminated was one of the barriers is that people think that sounds like, that sounds like something a pastor does. That sounds like somebody with theological experience does. That sounds like something that somebody in full time ministry does and not, part of my responsibility as just an everyday Christian. Now I'm writing this book. I'm in full-time ministry. And so where's my credibility in terms of like, well, I'm doing it. Can't you be doing it? And so I, I interviewed several people who are doing it in their everyday lives uh so that the everyday person who picks up this book and reads it, they can kind of see how people are overcoming some of the barriers that they might be feeling to making disciples, whether it's not feeling like they have enough time in their lives to add something else or wanting to figure out how to fit something Mm -hmm. new in, or um, just learning how to do it with their communities. Or, um, you know, one of the guys that I interviewed, he, he is a consultant. He's like a a corporate consultant, you know, how does he fit disciple making, but he's very active in disciple making. Um, So I, one of the things, this goes back to what we were talking about just before, but what I loved about What he shared was the first thing that he wants to make sure um, with anybody he disciples is that he helps them learn to hear from God themselves. Mm -hmm. And and so, back to your point Mm -hmm. about like, we don't want their faith to be dependent on us. If it's dependent on us and they're walking with Jesus, and then after we stop meeting, they stop walking with Jesus, like, then I think we did something wrong. But to teach somebody, to have a relationship with God, to hear from themselves like that is gold, And and so I love that. I love that. Uh, But really what I noticed in each of these everyday disciple makers lives is that there was a real attunement to the spirit to the spirits leading of who they should invest in, in their everyday life, not going out of their way to find somebody new, but just really scoping out, God, who have you placed in my life for such a time as this, that I can invest in, in, in their lives. And it doesn't have to be big and grand and weird, but it could just be really natural, like inviting them into my faith, inviting them into walking with Jesus together.
1: Mm, that's so good. You know, sometimes like we read the Bible and it's like, okay, this is how Jesus related with Peter. Mm -hmm. This is how Jesus related with John or whoever you or like, like God and King David, like David did this and God reacted like this. And you kind of learn a little bit about the character of God based on like interaction with people. But then like in discipleship, like they're learning about God by watching you interact with God. Right. Mm -hmm. And like Mm -hmm. what you normalize and what you share and what they see you living out. Right. And so I think that's so important. Like, and maybe I think it's becoming more normal is like this idea that God really is communicating. And Mm -hmm. it may not every time be like, literally feel like words are coming into your head like from God, but it can be an urging or a conscience issue of the Holy spirit, or it it can actually be real communication. Like Mm -hmm. God's really working. He didn't stop talking or working. Right. And so how do you, how do you tune into that and make that normal? And, And the reason I say that is because for you to tell someone something is different than for them to feel real Holy Spirit conviction about
2: something, right? It's like
1: up to the game quite a bit, you know, Yeah, like God really wants me to do that. Yeah, it really does.
2: Yeah. And and that is what like drew me into disciple making ministry in the first place was because, you know, I came to faith. I didn't grow up in a Christian home. I came to faith in high school, but you know, then I was more interested in just being with friends and like learning how to walk with God. So I didn't know that it was possible to have a relationship with God, went to different events based fellowships and then um, finally met the navigators and, and they taught me, And I was just in this culture, immersed in this Mm. culture where people were walking with God. They actually liked his word. Like they were reading the Bible on their own, like college students who were like me, you know, they were people who struggled. But uh, I, I feel like through osmosis, I picked up how to have a relationship with God. And then when I was discipled, it was like, exponential fast tracking in my relationship with God. And it's like, oh my gosh, do you know that God talks to us? Do you know that you can like really have a relationship with God? Like he speaks to you through his word, you know, and through the Holy spirit, that was just so new to me and it transforms my life. And so like, I love helping walk other people through that through that Holy Spirit revelation, like the Holy Spirit lives in you, the Holy Spirit is speaking to you, the Holy Spirit is illuminating different things to you than to me about the same Bible passage, because Mm. God's a personal God, and he's living and active through his word.
0: Mm.
1: Oh, that's so good. That's so good. Well, talk to us a little bit about barriers, Mm because I'm sure there'd be people who might be resistant to that idea. But a lot of people are very open, very spiritually minded, are very open to the idea that spiritual things are happening all around us and we need to tune in. What are what are some of the barriers that you've encountered you address in the book as well about mm-hmm. making disciples like the resistance that people have?
2: Yeah, um well the the research illuminated some of the most common barriers are actually very conquerable. A uh, lack of confidence, you know, uh I don't know. I wouldn't know what to do if God led me into this disciple making relationship. Mm. I wouldn't know what resources to use. Like God can really use me. It's lack of confidence, lack of resourcing and not knowing how to fit something completely like something like a disciple making relationship in their everyday lives. Mm -hmm. You know that my life is already so busy. How can I fit? yet another thing into my life. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and so though all of those, I feel like they're all very conquerable, you know, um, lack of confidence. And this goes back to the vulnerability issue that I was talking about, you know, it's mm-hmm. really vulnerable to put yourself out there. I think our culture has, you know, just with social media and technology, I think that that's kind of uh, impacted our tolerance for vulnerability of real face-to-face relationships. Um, and so I think we're more uh, intolerant in of feelings of vulnerability. And so this lack mm-hmm. of confidence, you know, well, I, I don't think I could do it. So it's easier to just not than to overcome it. But I think that's where it helps to have a compelling why. Why do we make disciples always before us? You know, you know, in the Old Testament, God, he talks about writing his commands and keeping them before tying them around your neck, keeping the why. Why? right in front of you so that you always have it as a motivator. So when life gets busy or when I feel afraid, it's like, but this, this is the why, and this is the call. And I just need that little pep talk from God to get back into it or to believe that it's worth the, the, discomfort of vulnerability to, to do it, you know? And I think that God's so great at hyping us up. You know, the reality is we can't do it apart from him, you know, we can do our best, um, but he gives us everything we need along the way. There's so many stories in scripture of people who maybe they didn't have, you know, like the, the, they weren't like Moses, you know, I think about he, he lacked the confidence to lead Mm -hmm. all the people in Mm -hmm. Israel out of Egypt and God empowered him along the way maybe he wasn't there in the beginning but God was with him and by the end he was one of the greatest leaders you know in, in the history of um of Israel um so i think also prioritizing that that's where also keeping your why in front of, in front of you like that that's so important otherwise it just kind of falls down and the important things on my to-do list you know on my list of things i want to do with my life um yeah, I think really being convinced that one, it is a calling for every follower of Jesus, including me, I'm a follower to, you know, like it is a calling and why, why is it important to partner with God in advancing his kingdom to the ends of the earth to help other people transform and, you know, like experience a transformational life in Christ. Um, there's just so many whys. There are different whys that I feel like. Yeah stand out to different people, but finding what is your why that motivates you to actually overcome this lack of confidence. Um, and, and then resourcing, you know, and I feel like that's so easy. There's so many books out there. Um, and, you know, like my, my book is like, my Absolutely. hope is that my book would be really helpful, really simple, really practical in helping people realize, oh, it's a lot simpler than we think it is, you know, than we make it out mm, to be. Basically, mm what you're doing in your relationship with God, pass on to somebody else. You know, it's helping people think through, how do I pass on what I already know? You already know it. You already have it. You yes. know, and, and yes. so how do that's I, so how do good. I pass it on?
1: Oh, that's so good. And I just love, it. Jesus was so wise. Like when he says, you know, go make disciples of the nations, you know, baptize and teaching all this. And he says, um, he says, and I'll be with you always to the very end of the day. Yes. You know? Like mm-hmm. that's such a powerful promise. And, and I don't, I don't, I've not made a conclusion on this. I, I've heard some people say that, the promise is contingent on the obedience to what he said. Like, if you do what I said, then I'll be with you. I'm not really convinced of that quite. Like, because we mm-hmm. got the Holy Spirit in us. I mean, like, yeah. how much closer can Jesus be than that? Uh, <laughs> but I do think that when we're in the will of God and we're following his lead and we're stepping out in faith, like, it's hard to say how, like, how much is he with us? Like, I don't, I can't, I'm having a hard time saying there's a quantity more, right? But mm-hmm. I certainly think he's in that, like he's empowering yeah. that he's helping that he's pushing that forward. And I'm an introvert. So, um, like it's, it, it, it's taken me a while to warm up to prayer walking and various things. Mm-hmm. It's taken this time and practice. And one of the things I noticed for me was that I always overestimated the negativity.
0: Mm-hmm.
2: Like
1: I always thought I was going to yes, be worse yeah. than it was. Right. Yeah, totally. And I could say of all the people I've ever approached, I mean, even total strangers, yeah. there's been, Very few people Mm who have responded negatively. Very, very few. I mean, in like a really kind of not a great way, right? Like Mm -hmm. there's some were like, well, whatever, but I mean, like, pretty, pretty hard. Like maybe one or two or three, you know, like not many. And Mm -hmm. so I mean, in my head, I'm overestimating that. I'm like, yes, we're gonna go out and pretty much a lot of people are gonna be like, you know, leave me alone. It doesn't happen, really. People are pretty cool. Yeah. Uh, Southern California is I'm in the South. <laughs> yeah.
2: <laughs> yeah. No, people are pretty open. You know, I think that's such a key. We think other people are going to be weirded out more than they really are. And that's why we don't initiate these relationships with them. You know, yeah, yeah. Um, we get we get so because we think they're going to think that we're weird. They're going yep. like, to it's yep. it's mostly in our head. There's, there's a few, like you said, a few people who would be like, no, thanks. That's not my thing. But that—if that's the worst that happens, then all right, yeah, you go. Know, yeah, that's not bad. And,
1: yet. And, and to your the point of your book, it is very practical. I mean, there are things that that we can do and some stuff that we can try. You know, I I know one thing we do—it's like really hard to be upset with someone who's trying to do something good. Mm-hmm. Yes. Right? So, yeah. So, like, if I if I walk up to someone and I'm like, "Hey, I really love our neighborhood, or I love this city, I love our our community, whatever," and we're just trying to just. Pray that God would bless this place or, you know, bring prosperity or help Mm -hmm. lives, change lives to help people have better lives. Like anything that you need prayed about today, like it's really hard to be like, get out of here. What do you think you're doing? (laughs) That's horrible. People Uh people aren't going to really do that. I mean, unless you're high or drunk or, you know, I've seen that. I mean, that's Uh most of the people I've encountered that were really like, oh, Oops. You know, <laughs> really,
2: really. I feel like they'd be yeah. like, Yeah, sure, bring the love.
1: <laughs> yeah. We're not awesome. all all there, you know, but I just feel like it's really hard to be mad at someone who has good intentions and is yes. to do a good thing. Yeah. And that's really what you're trying to do, you know?
2: Yeah. 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 And and I think also people, I mean, people just we were created for connection. And mm. and, and you know, whether somebody knows Jesus or not, I think that there is a formed part in them a deeply formed part in them that long, square connection and that hits at this connection somebody is wanting to care for me somebody's wanting to bring good to me how who could resist that you know who would who would turn that away
1: mm. oh that's so good that's so good so you talked a minute ago about um that different people have different whys on why mm-hmm. why make disciples right so can you maybe share a few of those that you've encountered or what it is for you
2: yeah, I mean, for me, it was it was the transformation that I experienced in Christ. Mm. So when I first came into college or went to actually as the ministry here, at University of California in Irvine, um, I, I was like going through a season of some pretty deep depression. I was coming out of a season of eating disorders, anorexia, uh, binge eating, bulimia and, and um, a lot of anxiety. It's just in a really low place just really unhealthy relationship, um, and and just struggling, not myself. And and Mm. just through being around other people who really loved Jesus being discipled, somebody teaching me how to have a relationship with Jesus. Uh, I just experienced so much healing and so much freedom from all of those things. You know, I'd always tried to just stop having my eating disorder, you know, like just stop, Mm being weird about food or, you know, like mm. went through a lot of treatment and, and, and those things were good, but they only took me so far at the end. It was really Jesus who freed me and brought healing and transformation in ways I could never have. I don't know, just mustered up on, on my own, you know? And so I I think that was so compelling for me. I want other women Mm. To experience the same transformation in Christ, I want other women to find their most deepest fulfillment in Jesus. I want other mm. women to experience healing from these things of the world that kind of hold it. There's so much fullness and depth and life and love from Jesus. I want other women to experience that, and so that's really been my wise. Like I have the answer to. Yeah, you know, to, to the question that we we were all asking, you know, and what, why would I keep that to myself? You know, the, the best thing mm-hmm. I can do, the most fulfilling thing I can do is to invest my life in helping other women know Jesus in the same way and to experience this life to the full that Jesus promises that is in him alone.
1: Oh, that's so good, and that—that's unfortunately kind of countercultural, right? Because I mean, mm-hmm. you're you're saying that I know some things that are really true, like, and it's it's true for everybody. Like yeah. Jesus is good for everybody, and yeah. and I think people, maybe not so much pastors and people who've been trained and have convictions about things, but I mean,
0: mm-hmm.
1: you know, people people I say people in the pew, right? It's like mm-hmm. there's, again, there's that real aversion to say like, well, I know something you don't, and I'm going to share yeah. enlighten you about how you are to live. Mm-hmm. Your life, but I, I agree with you that that life change and transformation experience is such a testimony. It's like when yeah. you when you've experienced the, the the dark depths of the yucky side of things, and then you get that freedom. Like, yeah, you want to share that with somebody and attribute mm-hmm. that, you know, to really where it came from, and that can initiate those discipling relationships and, and conversations.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Um, how do you how do you get into that with with somebody who is not uh, maybe not a believer? Like to initiate cuz that's probably the most scary awkward side right like for me to yeah. initiate with a christian's like that's not really scary but mm-hmm. maybe a friend who's not like what have you seen work
2: you know i just think there's so much power in story your own story you know you, you you bring somebody to church who doesn't know jesus and and um you know they hear truth and, and i feel like you know they can harden up to like you're telling me what to do but nobody can tell you that your story isn't true. Nobody can tell you that what you experienced didn't happen. That's your story. And so I think there's real power in story. There's real power in um, walking with somebody through the highs and the lows and inviting Mm. somebody into these messy parts in in your life as you walk and depend
0: Mm.
2: on Jesus, you know? And, And so I think, yeah, like people... There is an aversion to sharing the truth, but this is the truth of what I know that nobody else can tell me didn't happen to me in my yeah. in my life is the the power and transformation that I've experienced of Jesus in my life. And I, I just think there's something so attractive about that. Like I yeah. see it's not like there's something wrong with you. And so this is the truth that you need. But it's this is the brokenness I have experienced in my life. This is how Jesus changed me. I think that draws people in more, you know, it's less you focused and your problem focused and more. I want to invite you into something bigger that I've experienced.
0: Hello Disciple Makers Podcast listeners, I want to invite you to the 2022 National Disciple Making Forum here in Nashville, Tennessee on October 5th and 6th. Jesus had a strategy, a plan, and a roadmap for making disciples. In other words, He was highly intentional. He guided, coached, and developed His disciples into full-on disciple makers, and by living out the Great Commission, they changed the entire world. We're constantly gaining new insight about intentional discipleship as we look closely at Jesus. And if we're thoughtful and prayerful, we can apply many of those same practices today. So head on over to discipleship.org to buy your tickets for the 2022 National Disciple Making Forum. I look forward to seeing you there.
1: Yeah, no, that's really, really good. I'm thinking about is it first Peter where he says, you know, always be prepared to give an answer to those who ask you about the hope that you have. It's like, Mm -hmm. well, people are going to see that they may have seen the struggle. They may have seen the outcome and like, well, what changed, whatever happened yeah. with that thing you were dealing with. Right. Mm-hmm. But You can only, you can only have that conversation if you have the relationship.
2: Yes. Yeah. Yeah. You
1: know, a lot of, a lot of, uh, some discipling things seem very clinical mm-hmm. where it's like, you know, step one, step two, step three. Mm-hmm. And what I like about what you're doing in, in your book and what you're saying is, is that, we have to be in tune with reality that t- sometimes that takes data to really like really hone in on what's really going on out there we have hunches but like let's really find out what's going on out there so like you and navigators in your book and all barna what you what you're reporting has real teeth to it mm-hmm. but then it's it's not like you're real clinical about it
2: mm-hmm. yeah you know i try not like, to be <laughs> yeah
1: i mean it'd be tempting i think for you to be given your background to be very yeah. like just very very clinical and like we want okay s- you know just give me every little thing but life doesn't really work that way and and I think that you have a really good balance in your book of you know really assessing and like I hate to say diagnosing but really laying out the numbers of what's there in a very practical way and then kind of walking us through like what does this look like in real life through the vignettes the stories of people through your own practical application Is, is there anything in there that you like to share?
2: Um, well, you know, I so you mentioned this clinical. We talked briefly about this before we started recording, but I am a licensed marriage and family therapist uh, practiced in the with the under-resourced population in Los Angeles County for a little bit. So it's in me to diagnose. And, and really, I do believe that the, the Barna research, it is kind of a diagnosis of the American church. Like what is going on? Because you know, we can, we can see the problems all around. Okay. Like, you know, experience people aren't disciple making. Well, why? And we can take these random stabs in the dark, but the data is so cool. (laughs) This is me nerding out on the data, but the data is so cool because it gives us these uh, targeted areas of focus, like lack of familiarity with terms, lack of confidence. We know exactly where the problem, you know, we're, we're, we're coming up, we're having trouble with bringing disciple making Mm -hmm. back to the Mm -hmm. center of the American Christian life. We know exactly where it is. So then we can make these targeted informed um, air quotes, treatment decisions, you know, in, in this way, but also have the adaptability and the flexibility um, Mm -hmm. to to really keep it, real but i think that the ability to keep it real and to flex and adapt that really comes from um just a solid foundation you know so like i i used to play piano uh and so you know when you're starting out you kind of like start with the basic scales you know uh chord progressions things like that how to form chords and different keys and, and the more um comfortable you are with the basics the more you're able to really improvise and to flex. And so that's where I think basics, they're so helpful, you know, and I hope that the book provides really concrete, practical basics in creating a disciple making plan for somebody so that, as people get more comfortable and familiar with it, they can start to like improvise and play around with it and adapt to the things that life throws, you know, into the disciple making relationship and, um and to the different things that life throws in people in general. If that, um, yeah. I, I hope that analogy yeah. lands. <laughs> yeah,
1: no, it really does. Um, so are there any numbers that when you talk about nerding out on the numbers, is there, are there any numbers that just you keep rolling around in your mind that you'd like to share? Just things oh,
2: that man. Uh, the, so much. So, so many great, so many great numbers. Um, you know, I, I think really what shocked me were, um, was the, the lack of familiarity with, um, the disciple making term, but it's just so funny. Like 70% don't think discipling somebody is a responsibility but then 70 percent thinks that spiritually investing in somebody is um like that one for some reason sticks out to me it it just really shows how um we're not really talking about discipling or disciple making we're not fleshing out Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. what it looks like Um, and that's okay we maybe we don't need the terms but if people get the concepts you know then That's okay. That like, that's good. That's good. People get the concepts. And so how do we um, leverage? How do we help leverage what people already know? Mm. You know, maybe, maybe, it's, yeah. Yeah.
1: We have a very culturally conditioned definition of spirituality. Mm-hmm. Where when, when Paul in the New Testament uses that word pneumaticos, he means, because pneuma's spirit, he means Holy Spirit stuff. Mm-hmm. When he talks about a spiritual body in first Corinthians 15 or different places, And he says pneumaticos, it's not just like like mystical spirituality, it's like Holy Spirit things, mm-hmm. things of the spirit, mm-hmm. right? But when you talk to Christians and say, like, would you be willing to have a spiritual conversation with someone? That sounds very open, non-judgmental, mm-hmm. non-threatening, right? Like yeah. it's all on the table. We're just talking spirituality. Yeah. Like mm-hmm. I could see why people would endorse that yeah, but if you're talking like biblical spirituality, like Pauline pneumatico spirituality, like that's specific,
2: yeah, that's yeah.
1: specific. has some absolutes involved, has mm-hmm. some require it has some'd say obligation requirement, but some response, like some specific yeah. response, right? And now you're in the realm of uncomfortability, your vulnerability that you're talking about. Yeah. Uh-huh. Oh, Now I'm in that conversation that I'm scared. You
2: know? Yeah. Well, I mean, if you think Jesus, he often had these spiritual conversations yeah. and and he left them open ended. He just like that's keep true. moving sometimes, you know, yeah. without yeah. giving them the answers. Just, yeah, that's but, fair. But he, he stimulated their thinking yeah. Yeah. And in a way that I think pointed them towards eternity.
0: Yeah, um, that's you good. know.
2: Yeah, I, I think a couple of other really cool data points from the Barner research is they, they looked at generations interest in disciple making through generations. And what they mm. found was that interest tapers off pretty dramatically, like Gen Z is the most interested in being disciple makers and then, and then uh millennials and then Gen X, but the boomers, they're, they're the least interested by far in becoming disciple maker or in discipling somebody. And, and I think that can mm. point to some of our are problems with, uh, disciple because, you know, you can't pass on what you haven't experienced. And, and so if the older, gen- usually disciple making relationships doesn't always, but usually involves somebody older discipling somebody younger. And so if the older generations are least likely to want to disciple, then, then younger generations are most likely not being discipled. Yeah. So, yeah. so I just thought that was That's interesting. Yeah. Right. Really fascinating. The data it also illuminated for psychometric qualities. So psycho psychometric or psychographic, what we're talking about is like measuring mental traits, abilities, and processes. And so these are traits that are common to people who are most likely to want to become. Disciple makers or who are most interested in disciple making. Hmm. And the first is that they're optimistic for change. They they believe that their life has an impact on the world. Hmm. Uh, The second is that they're relationally motivated, that relationships are important to them. Um, The third is that they're accountability-driven. So they have experienced the, the value of accountability in their own lives, and they value accountability in somebody else's life, like being, holding other people accountable. And then the last one is that they're growth minded. They're always looking to grow, uh, in their relationship. They're always looking to help somebody else grow. And so these are four mental traits that were common, most commonly identified in the people who Hmm. were most interested in being disciple makers, which is really interesting.
1: Those all make sense. I mean, that's a good cluster of things. If you're, if you're high on those, those traits, I mean, that, that makes absolute sense. And if, if you're low on those traits, you're probably like, that might explain why I feel like I've been beating my head against the wall of like, because I think some people, especially maybe some introverts might feel like I really know I'm supposed to do this. I'm very,
2: yes, very yeah.
1: duty driven,
2: mm-hmm. I'm very,
1: a rule follower.
2: Mm-hmm. And Jesus
1: said, do that. But I'm really struggling.
2: Yeah, yeah, totally. You know?
1: Because maybe you're not open to, maybe you're not optimistic, maybe you're pessimistic, maybe you're not open to relational growth and things like that, you know, so Mm -hmm. that might really help somebody put some words to what they're struggling with.
2: Yeah. And it helps, it can help them get in the mindset of somebody who is disciple making, you know, like I, okay. So I trained for a 5k. I know that's like small beans for people who are actually runners, but it was a really big deal for me. It's hard. And I, like my mindset was this sucks and I don't want to do it. That's not going to get me very far in training for a 5k. Mm -hmm. And so I found that I had to really adopt the mindset of a runner to get myself in the headspace. And so I think in the same way, but disciple making, like you said, there's some people who might be like, I know that I should do this. But I don't want to, you know, and so how do we get yeah. in the, and, and so that's going to keep you from actually doing it. And so how do I get in the mindset of a disciple maker? And so this is some of the mindset that, that the research illuminated about, um, disciple makers and, and yeah. how they think and, um, what motivates them. So. Yeah. It's really
1: cool. It is. That is really cool. And, and I think it's pretty cool that, like First Corinthians twelve, God made this body with many different kinds of parts, or like mm-hmm. Ephesians four eleven, the apest, You know, like there's these different yeah. gifts, but but they can all be used for disciple making, right? Mm-hmm. Like so. You know, you may not be the best connector with people of forming new relationships with the yeah. lost and things like that. Mm-hmm. But when they get there, you might be very pastorally minded to bring them in and show them the ropes. Right. And yeah, like we, we just all need each other. Like he says in First Corinthians 12, to like make this whole body where Jesus is the head. But we're all operating, functioning well within our roles and giftedness. Right. So I, I don't know that we're all gifted evangelists. Mm-hmm but I think we can all use our propensities and and giftedness and interest to like push the disciple making mission forward.
2: Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Or even like meet with people in the different seasons in their life. I mean, some, the evangelists might be the ones that lead them to Christ, you know, but the shepherds might be the ones that really establish them, you know, in their, in their walk and deepen and strengthen their walk. So Yeah. But
1: that takes strategy, as George Bush (laughs) said, right? Like, (laughs) because like teaching people, my, I keep saying introvert, but I mean, teaching people might just be more, intro, like, it often takes an introvert person to sit down, like, really steady, yeah. like, deep dive, right? But then
0: mm-hmm. we need
1: to be intentional about getting those really good teachers in front of people who need really good teaching, right? Yeah. But but to be also, yeah, there's a lot there. Just takes being strategic, I think. There's a people. lot of
2: coordination, yeah, coordination yeah. with yeah. the body, for sure.
1: Yeah, that's, yeah, that's good. Well, anything else that uh, you'd like to share about your book or the research?
2: This isn't really book related, but hopefully the book supports this. I just really, I wonder if now is the time that God is calling all of his followers to come back into this disciple making mindset to this disciple making work that he's invited all of us into. I mean, the work that uh, of disciple making and advancing God's kingdom, it can't just be on the Christian leaders or the full time workers. It can't. It can't be. And I'm sure those who are listening, you've experienced this. Like maybe you're the pastors and you are you feel like I'm just trying to move, move it, but it's not working. I think this has to be in all followers of Jesus work. And and I don't know, maybe it's time to return Jesus's final commission for all of his followers to go mm-hmm. and make disciples of all nations back to the center of our American Christian life. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And maybe through that, that's where we will see this radical transformation of the gospel to heal the world, to, to bring people and their families into restoration and, and, and communities into healing. I just, I wonder if now is the time for us to really, um, lean into disciple making lean into yeah, disciple making yeah. and really make it simple and and approachable for the everyday person to be able to feel like i can do this too and i want to do this let's let's up the numbers you know from the 20 yeah. percent who have been discipled Let, let's up that so that more people are being discipled so that more people can pass on the experience um, of being discipled, so that more people can <laughs> can start walking with Jesus more deeply and start hearing his voice and experiencing his transformation. Let's do that together.
1: Oh, that's really good. Um, a couple of thoughts come to mind when you, when you said that, that I feel like I I just really want to share, um, nothing lengthy, but, um, I think that pastors are already just like the members so busy.
2: Mm -hmm.
1: And when they hear you say that Mm -hmm. they're going to say one more major initiative. Oh Mm -hmm. my goodness. I can't." Something's gotta give. Mm-hmm. So if 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 I could give an encouragement, it would be that we don't have to wait on permission or programs mm. to do anything that Jesus said to do.
2: Oh, yeah, that's so right? good. Yes, yes. Amen. So
1: if people, if people would get this idea, they don't have to wait on the lead people to <laughs> say. In fact, for them to, for the, you're saying for the lead people to say, we have a new discipleship program. Like mm-hmm. that might not even be, that's probably not even a great idea, mm-hmm. right? Like, yeah, yeah. You no, know, cause yeah. it's just not really the way it works, you know? Mm-hmm. And so really if, if the people would hear what you're saying, read what you're saying
2: mm-hmm.
1: and go ahead and be obedient to that. Yeah. Just start doing put, it. Not put one more program on the staff. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Not put one more announcement on Sunday morning. Like, you know yeah. that sort of thing like just go just go and mm-hmm. try and do and do it together you know 2 by 2 jesus says like find find a buddy and be like we're going to figure this out together and we're going to yeah. resource this and we're going to cuz we're hungry right mm-hmm. like if people would just do that it would be there's some number like if you can get 15% of your people to make a shift or 20 it's like 20 15 20% like a critical a mass and, yeah that critical mass right mm-hmm. that could easily be done but We've created a system where everyone's waiting on permission. They're yes. all waiting on the an oh, They're all so waiting good. on a new vision statement, a mm-hmm. new new budget item, right? It's like yeah. just go. It's free. It doesn't cost yeah. anything.
2: The vision statements in the Bible. It's right there. Yeah, right. Matthew twenty-eight. Yep, yep there it is. <laughs> that's so, so good. That's so good.
1: Well, thank you for your time. Thank you for your yeah. talents and for sharing them so open-handedly. And I really hope mm-hmm. people go get the book and read the book. And yes. also you will be at the forum. You'll be speaking and
0: teaching. Be.
1: And so uh, I hope if people are hearing this and want more that they will, will come and show up either in person, there's a live stream and digital access pass also with the registration that you can you can look at and pick up if you don't live in that area. So uh, thank you so much, Alice. It's been a pleasure.
2: Yeah, yeah thank you so much, Matt. It's, it's been good to be here.
0: All right, that was great stuff from Matt and Alice. And like I said earlier, if you enjoyed hearing Alice speak, she's going to be at our National Making Forum here in a couple weeks, along with people like Myron Pierce, Matt Markins, Tim Hawks, K. Johnson. It's going to be a fantastic time. You can still buy your tickets at discipleship.org right now. So make sure you go do that. And just as a general update around the forum, we are going to be taking two weeks off from the podcast in order to host the forum and to gather more material for you for the rest of the year for the podcast. So starting October 17th, we'll be back on schedule with releasing new episodes every single week for the rest of the year. All right, y'all. Thank you so much for listening to the episode and I hope to see you on the next one. Have a great day. Hey, I hope you've been enjoying this episode so far. I wanted to take just a second to tell you about the discipleship.org collective. It's an online community designed for disciples and disciple makers. And if you're a follower of Jesus, then you fit in one or both of those categories, then we made this website with your needs in mind. The website itself is super cool because it's like stepping into a virtual church building. There's a welcome center, an auditorium for main events, and even some classrooms. Right now, you can get free access to this collective where we provide weekly webinars, we've got eBooks, and even disciple making assessments for you and also your whole church. And don't mistake this for just a website. It's actually a community for disciple makers. Basic membership is free, but there's also a premium access option that includes courses, certifications, and online gatherings with other leaders from around the world. So go to discipleship.org/collective and sign up for your free membership today. Hello, Disciple Makers Podcast listeners. I want to invite you to the 2022 National Disciple Making Forum here in Nashville, Tennessee on October 5th and 6th. Jesus had a strategy, a plan, and a roadmap for making disciples. In other words, He was highly intentional. He guided, coached, and developed His disciples into full-on disciple makers, and by living out the Great Commission, they changed the entire world. We're constantly gaining new insight about intentional discipleship as we look closely at Jesus. And if we're thoughtful and prayerful, we can apply many of those same practices today. So head on over to discipleship.org to buy your tickets for the 2022 National Disciple Making Forum. I look forward to seeing you there.